Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Sandy Hudson, activist, co-founder of Black Lives Matter Canada, co-host of Sandy and Nora Talk Politics, joining me from L.A. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, Sandy. Today we are going to talk about the brutalization of black bodies by militarized thugs who have never had more lethal power and less accountability than they do right now. And we're going to talk about the Canadian media's inability to report or even grasp that. Good to have you here. Thanks for, for investigating this subject because, especially at the beginning of last week, <laughs> the Canadian media really, truly failed black people in this country. Well, we're going to go through it piece by piece. This episode is brought to everybody by Sarah Epp, Jessica Albanese, Derek Chica, Marilyn Brown, Jason Myers, Kay Dykstra, Kai Miller, and Ashley. Hi, my name's Ashley. I live in Thorold, Ontario, and I'm a quality analyst. Over the past few years, I started subscribing to all the Canadian shows, increased my awareness of what was happening in Canada on multiple fronts. This includes the Thunder Bay show, which gave me a look for the city my parents grew up in. Really enjoy listening to Opera and Commons and the wonderful host. Looking forward to the new stories and projects. Protests in over 140 cities across the United States. Protests over the death of George Floyd, the black man who died in the custody of a white police officer. Just the latest in a series of stories in the United States about race and policing. I've been threatened by a man in the ramble. Please send the cops I can't breathe. One man's pleading, now a potent cry for black Americans. Pent up anger. Leaving South Minneapolis today charred and smoking. People are uh, moving closer to the police and the police move forward. They fire tear gas. In Louisville, a black restaurant owner was shot and killed by police when they returned fire on protesters. Today I have strongly recommended to every governor to deploy the National Guard in sufficient numbers that we dominate the streets. A massive demonstration on the streets of Toronto this afternoon, rallying for justice in support of Regis Korczynski. The only thing we are demanding is justice and answers. Sandy, you know, this is where I would normally, before we talk about how the Canadian media handled something that happened. It's where I would normally summarize what happened uh, around the world in Canada this past week. And I don't even know where to begin. I mean, I think that the traditional, you know, you could go about this by saying, well, it all started with Ahmad Arbery, the jogger who was shot while jogging in Georgia, and then talk about Amy Cooper, the white Canadian woman who was captured on video in Central Park threatening a black man with police violence uh, because he wanted her to leash her dog. And, and I guess that would take us to 
the arrest of the cop who murdered George Floyd in Minnesota. I don't think that a summary like that would really encapsulate what is going on right now. Like that feels like the words would fall short. I'm not sure I can summarize what we're in the middle of. It feels like the dominoes are just falling one by one and it's still happening as we speak. Like, how do you bring in the blame Antifa piece? How do you tell the story without talking about the radical right accelerationists or Trump turning this into political theater to distract from COVID from the pandemic? But how do you tell this without backing up before all of that and how the pandemic influenced this to begin with? Or to talk about the violence against journalists, like it, it just feels like something has ruptured and we don't know what it is and I don't know how to summarize it. Do you have, from your position, like a big picture understanding? Like, w would you endeavor to summarize what's going on? Oh, I mean, the only way that I can summarize it is to say that it's so indescribable. It's such a tangle of a moment that at once feels like we're stuck in this uh, really maddening time loop as an organizer. It feels so similar to 2016, which uh, was the year that Eric Garner was killed. Uh, and at the time that Andrew Loku was killed also, and many of the same organizers are grappling with the exact same questions as we were in 2016. But at the same time, it also feels like an unprecedented, inspiring moment where people are ready to make a serious shift structurally when it comes to policy. And at the same time, you know, there's just like this well of despair that is bubbling throughout black communities, certainly across North America, and the solidarity actions around the world suggest elsewhere as well. I don't know how to describe all that. I've been struggling to put my emotions, my feelings, even just the direction of uh, how I think we should be responding to all of this. I've been struggling to put all of that into words because I don't know that there are words to truly describe what this moment means. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's beyond me. And, and I guess it's sort of beyond the practice or the scope of what I try to do. Like, you know, we're, we're, we'll just try to look at it through the coverage. I mean, that that's what, something we can do is look at how our media has tried to handle this and look at how they're doing. So let's start with the CBC. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk with you later on about your specific experience with The Current that you talked about on Twitter. Right. Um, we're going to get to that in detail, but uh, I want to talk with what the CBC did put on the air and then took off the air. And that was this clip from New York of a police van, which is being surrounded by protesters and the CBC sort of cuts. But the full clip shows that police van just plowing into a field of humans in footage that evokes nothing as much as it does uh, the Charlottesville protests where uh, Heather Heyer was killed when somebody purposely drove into that crowd. The CBC has acknowledged that this was a mistake to cut that. What did you make of their of their decision to kind of <laughs> end that clip right before the most newsworthy part of it happened? I honestly was so stunned to see that. I mean, look at all of the examples of clear police violence and repression happening in the United States right now. It doesn't feel like it could possibly be a mistake that someone would have edited that and then put it up in the light most favorable to the police uh, rather than uh, what was truly happening with, you know, if they weren't to cut it exactly where they did, people would see that a police car was just careening into protesters who are simply trying to say that black people shouldn't be extrajudicially murdered in the street. Why, CBC, would you do something like that? How could that possibly be a mistake? Before we leave you, I'm going to read something on behalf of all of us at CBC News Network regarding coverage over the weekend. The footage we broadcast did not meet CBC's journalistic standards and practices, and we deeply regret this error. An early broadcast version of this video did not provide the needed context and characterization of the events in New York City. Our team caught that error and fixed the script. In a subsequent hour, however, a technical error resulted in the video being cut short, and we failed to show the entire scene of the police vehicle driving into the protesters. This was a truly unfortunate series of mistakes on a sensitive topic, and CBC News apologizes. To be clear, we did not edit this video intentionally to avoid showing the longer sequence of events. In fact, the complete scene aired many times on Sunday. Global 
News, they ran a story on their website. George Floyd protests. Canadians living in the U.S. say rioting is causing angst and unrest. I think this is one of those attempts to like, what is the Canadian angle? How do we relate to what's happening? Well, there's plenty of Canadians in the States and they're feeling like pretty uncomfortable <laughs> about these protests. And, um, you know, the article, which is, you know, it's it's uh, been unpublished and it wasn't archived in the normal ways that we find things that get removed. Uh, the Wayback Machine doesn't have it. So, you know, I, I, I was able to ascertain that it was kind of like a roundup of these kind of, uh, I guess they call them expat Canadians, you could call them immigrants, who are uncomfortable and, and sort of, you know, judging and saying like, oh, these these protests are turning violent and, and they shouldn't be doing that. Global has since uh, following a public outcry. Global News has removed the story after determining that it did not adequately reflect the protests happening in the U.S. and in Canada and failed to include context about historical anti-black racism that is at the center of this story. It will be republished after it meets our editorial standards. As as we tape uh, in the, the midday Wednesday, it has yet to be republished. So there's that one. Yeah, I, and what a strange angle to take right now. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a Canadian living in the United States, and uh, I say that the way that the police repression is occurring and the way that, uh, that Trump uh, is uh, responding uh, to a simple call for, for dignity is causing intense repression and fear amongst the population. But, you know, like so strange to take this um, weird angle of Canadians say that this rioting is uh, causing unrest, um, which I think is just part of how Canadian media really likes to position Canada as this moral authority over the United States, like we're better than and we have some high ground from which uh, we can judge uh, what's happening in the United States. And, you know, why not use the power of the media to really talk about what uh, this community that has been uh, brutalized and is fighting back against uh, police violence uh, to see what they're saying, to to listen to them? What is what a strange angle to take? I, I think that we are struggling in the Canadian media, you know, and, and, and the things that have worked and the lenses through which we've seen things are, try, you know, like the fact that they're unpublishing all this stuff shows that there's like a recognition that things that have worked or have been sort of allowed to maintain for a long time, we're going to see it again and again as we go through this coverage. The news organizations themselves are kind of falling apart, either in, in recognizing that these mistakes are made and pulling this stuff, not because there's like a specific inaccuracy, but because they're just reading it completely wrong and people are just revolted by the coverage. And in other cases, the news organizations, their own staff, their own newsrooms are revolting against decisions that are being made by marquee columnists or by management. But, you know, to, to your point earlier about, like, the tone that they take, let's check out the Globe and Mail's editorial board, which uh, kind of, like, tisk tisks the protests. And this is what they wrote. A peaceful protest is a right. A riot isn't. Marching <laughs> is a right. Looting isn't. Burning down a store or a neighborhood doesn't improve policing or end racism or bring justice to anyone. Sort of this bizarre construct of the editorial board, no names, it's just that you know, the, the Globe and Mail disapproves of what some of these protesters are doing, and I'm sure that they are paying close attention to what the Globe and Mail has to say about it. it just, it's a strange tack to take. Yeah, and like, what are your priorities, Globe and Mail? Like, black people are dying at the hands of the police in a way that is so heinous, so tragic, so unjust. And people are risking their lives, quite frankly, during a pandemic to go out in the street and demand better and are facing police repression. I don't care about your tisk tisk. <laughs> I don't care about how you would do it. And you shouldn't care about that either. And I think that a lot of what this um, this the way that Canadian media is approaching this this story speaks to is the lack of different voices that are in production teams that are deciding what is important to discuss in the news. The people who are deciding how the news is reported and what is news in Canada are overwhelmingly white. And that means that certain perspectives are going to be missing and that you make really strange choices of 
how you report on the humanity of a people who you just don't understand. Yeah, I think this is an inflection point where voices that have been struggling to be heard within newsrooms where they exist, you know, there is an opportunity here because it's just becoming so starkly obvious that something is wrong at the higher levels. And that's going to reveal itself as we go through this. I mean, the Globe hasn't had to remove anything, but they've they've changed things. They had a, um, a city on fire photograph and the lead story was five police shot with no end in sight for U.S. protests. They changed that to police shot slash protesters hit with batons as protests continue in U.S. It's just like this like like subtle shift of the focus as they're kind of like reading the audience response. But it's even more than that, Jesse. It's like a, it's a refusal to discuss like what is truly happening. I mean, yesterday there was an incident in D.C. Uh, where the police were trying to kettle protesters and round them all up and arrest them by uh, the dozens. And so uh, someone who was uh, whose home is on the same street that that was happening opened his door and let protesters into his home to keep them safe. And uh, the police threw tear gas into that man's private residence. <laughs> you know, like the, yeah. the police are attacking journalists without fear of the fact that the cameras are turned on. If, you, if you're if you so tisk-tisky about uh, the violence that are, is happening at, at protests, should you not also truly be focusing on what the police are doing uh, to people who are simply saying enough is enough, stop killing black people? Yeah, that's like a wake-up thing where, you know, I mean, any type of mass protest the media can always find violence to focus on. And we have a predictable narrative that plays out. And I think it's like newsrooms waking up to like, something is very different with this one. Something is very different about how the police are engaging with journalists and are attacking journalists and are just shamelessly, like there's just like an aggression level that signals some, something has changed. And, and you see that kind of like, that like almost machine written headline gets changed. Like when you're seeing like, a pregnant woman who who gets hit in the abdomen with the tear gas canister when a journalist like loses sight in one eye when they're aiming at the press when it doesn't matter if it's a peaceful part of the protest or otherwise the aggression that's coming back like I think it's like how to process this and and we're we're far enough away from it that it's kind of like we're just slow to it some shouldn't even try I mean even before this happened the Toronto Sun had to oh unpublish an article where they were like trying to cover this uh, this murder and again just relying on the old tropes, Joe Warmington with his like this is this is a hip hop culture problem. This is a, a problem with hip with rap, and he quoted uh, he said a Drake lyric as evidence that there's this culture of violence in hip hop that leads to these murders, and he quoted, "We can't afford to let someone else get killed. If they scared, we kill you by ourselves. If I'm scared, my bodyguard Chubbs will shoot you by himself. Only need one person to shoot you." You only live once. Very terrifying Drake lyrics that obviously uh, were lived out in this killing. Those aren't Drake lyrics. Uh, he just, he just, I don't know. I guess he quoted someone else. They, they pulled the piece entirely. Oh my god, what an embarrassment! Doesn't anybody over at the Sun have any shame? They so often publish uh, this type of uh, really disgusting content that just shows that they take certain communities as a joke. I mean, uh, when uh, Houdini, uh, a rapper in Toronto, was killed uh, just last week, they also had a really offensive front page image that said, who made Houdini disappear? As though this was some sort of joke and not the tragic news um, to our community that it is. I, 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 we don't even have time for all this. Like the gaslighting, you know, Rex Murphy and Stockwell Day, just like, no, it's not a racist country. I don't want to hear Trudeau or anyone else say this is a racist country. We're not racist people. Uh, Stockwell Day saying, sure, you, you know, some people get teased. I got teased for, you know, wearing glasses, but that doesn't make this whole country racist. I reject the prime minister insinuating that all Canadians are somehow racist because our system is systemically racist. It is not. The Canadian system is built and everyday functions to defend the rights of minorities. It, it's sort of just like this talisman that this this thing we need to cling to that like what's happening is really bad, but it's not as bad here. Uh, all these white men, all of a sudden, the experts on the black experience in Canada. I mean, I, I don't know if you saw the, the report 
uh, Francois Legault saying that there is no systemic racism in Quebec. In Quebec? <laughs> I mean, I, what, this is so stunning. And Francois Legault also claimed that recently this week, which was reported, and I don't think he was subject to enough pushback from journalists for this, said that there was no history of slavery in Canada. Of course, Canada has a 200-year history of enslavement of black people. And uh, for that to just be reported uh, without the round condemnation and queries to, you know, back his statements up that it deserves uh, is just, you know... You must be exhausted. It you is, must be so. T- it is so exhausting to say the same thing over and over again, and just hope that finally someone will will like, you know, like Canada, please unclose your ears and listen to this basic stuff that everyone should know. It is absolutely yeah. exhausting. This is frustrating. You know, Rex Murphy's headline, Canada is not a racist country, despite what the liberals say. And, you know, his interpretation of what would make it a racist country or Stockwell Days when he's talking about we're not racist people. Putting aside the question of whether or not we are a majority racist people on an individual level, like there's just this kindergarten level to the discourse where you have to go back and like reprove or demonstrate. And it's it's just right there, the history, the existence of slavery in Canada, or even just at the level of like, do you know what systemic racism is, Stockwell? Like, like, <laughs> but then I mentioned earlier just that that is creating this opportunity and something is different. And, you know, to see the National Post's employees take to Twitter to distance themselves mm-hmm. from Rex Murphy was something that you don't see every day. Some of that was problematic unto itself. Like Jake Edmiston Tweeting, the reporters and editors I work with at The Post hold themselves to a standard that is well above this careless, shoddy column. I'm sorry, but the standard of the National Post is set by Conrad Black and Rex Murphy. And when Rex Murphy writes the same, like he wrote that thing a dozen times. I know the newsroom, like, like that's the way that you can kind of like continue to function as a journalist saying like, I'm doing news reporting to a certain standard and uh, whatever Rex Murphy files that nobody even edits is something else, and I'm not responsible for that, so that when he really steps over the line, you can say, well, that's not the standard of the newsroom that I work for. I'm sorry, that is your news organization. (laughs) It happens every time, and that guy gets a lot more readers than your stuff does. Those are the marquee columnists. I was much more interested in what Vanmala Subramanian had to write when she wrote a full-throated takedown of the Rex Murphy piece, which, again, was just Mm -hmm. like exhausting that she has to go and just like argue for these these known things to demonstrate well if if, let's go through the murders must i prove again but but this time it got said it took a lot of courage but it got said in ways that it would not have been in the past yeah i mean it's it must be like such a thing to be so below mediocre and still have this power to write such a ridiculous article. I mean, over the years, as black people have said, we need justice in our communities. The response we get from the ilk of the Rex Murphy types is like, prove it, prove that racism exists. Okay, so now, you know, black folks have done a lot of research. We've got the data. We can speak to all of these issues and prove it. And Rex Murphy like simply says, as a quote from this article, The vast majority of Canadians are horrified by racism. Do we not have welcoming immigration policies? It's like, no, we we don't. (laughs) Haven't we been saying this? Like and he just gets to put that out there without someone at the National Post saying, you know what, actually, if you're going to say this, you have to back it up with something. As people have said to me uh, this week and countless times when I'm writing opinion pieces, I'm given back my articles and told to send the academic research or to to cite some other article to prove my statement. But he just gets to say, we have welcoming immigration policies. It's just such crap. It's just babyish. It's just like an American pundit could be like, do we not have the Statue of Liberty? Like, <laughs> could you how is it any different? You know? Uh, OK, so we, we got our hands on this internal just trying to figure out how to engage with this stuff is this like insurmountable challenge to leadership in Canadian media. Catherine Tate, the president and CEO of, of the CBC, sent this message to all staff internally on their intranet. 
and like staff were just horrified. Interestingly, English staff, like the response from French staff was mostly supportive and there was much less response. Did you read this? We published it. Did you read this memo from Catherine Tate? I believe I responded to your tweet with that horrified gif of a, of a black woman in a courtroom, like looking off to the side, wide eyed, like, oh, my God, I cannot believe. Yeah, I saw it. Our stand in solidarity, she wrote. And, and you know, she's trying to get like the emotion right. You know, this reminds us of the work that still needs to be done to ensure true equality in Canada. The suffering and injustice of racism, whatever form it takes, against whatever community. She doesn't mention the word <laughs> she can't even, black. She can't even acknowledge us. <laughs> she cannot, even in this moment. I mean, Meghan McCain, <laughs> you know, the daughter of John McCain, who is, you know, on The View, a very conservative voice, is acknowledging that anti-black racism exists and that black people are, are suffering through this horrendous treatment in the United States. And she cannot say black once. I wonder if she was cognizant, like something about that caused discomfort, I suppose. She wrote, you know, what can I do? Like it's this handwringing of like, like as if this focuses on like, well, I'm not black. So what can I do? She says, I can stand and tell you I see you. Dozens of CBC employees using their own names clapped back at their boss's boss's boss to say things like, oh, wow, what a great thing to be seen by you. Like, how, <laughs> how about we change this organization? How about our coverage no longer embarrasses us with, with its support of white supremacy? How about we capitalize black in our style guide finally? How about we have some black management leadership? Like, it opened the, the, the window for all of these. And I know a lot of people who have been just pushing this diversity uh, issue within the CBC and just feeling like they're up against a wall. You know, it gets lip service whenever there's a flare up and then it's just like, okay, well, Let's let's make you do it. Let's set up a committee for you to you know write us a paper or a report. They found a lot of courage using their names. I mean, I know the CBC. That that is a very risky move in that organization. I mean, yeah, I, I think one of the greatest quotes in this this whole thing that just shows how ridiculous it is is, "I understand that I can't understand, but I can stand." Like you sent that out to your staff, thinking that that was acceptable. It's so much of what's wrong with the way people think that they can engage with racism just by saying these simple platitudes. Hey, I see you. I can stand with you. I want to do better. And leaving it at that. It's like, uh, hello, CBC, you have a lot of power uh, to change the way that black people are seen in this country. And in fact, you shape the way that black people are discussed in this country and how uh, issues of anti-black racism are understood and analyzed in this country. You have that power. So it is not simply enough for you to see or stand or whatever. I don't care about any of that. You need to change the way that you engage with the news to the betterment of all of our understandings of this very important issue that is life and death to some of your listeners. Yeah, I, you know, I think that uh, I'm reading these these conversations on Twitter where people are saying like, okay, well, what do you want us to do if even these like statements of solidarity get dragged? And when you're a journalist, the answer coming back uh, that I'm reading from black voices on Twitter is like, do your job, report. Like, let's take this from this amorphous thing of like Canada is better than the U.S. with racism and actually like lend some journalism to that. Are we? <laughs> we? We can actually go and add up the police brutality in Canada. We can compare that to the levels of police brutality in America and we can put to rest so it's not an issue for debate for op-ed columnists. Are we better? Well, yeah, we're bad. We've got our problems, but we're not as bad. Because like... I'm going to get into some some of just what's happened in the last couple of weeks with police brutality in Canada in, in our next segment. But like there's reason to believe that it might be just as bad. We just don't have videotape. Well, actually, Jesse, if I could just say like that is actually so important. There is a particular Canadian angle to some of this stuff. And a lot of the journalists who I hope are listening will be able to back me up when I say that in Canada, when it comes to police brutality and keeping police accountable, journalists have very little access 
to information uh, from police departments who hide under uh, the uh, privacy laws that may or may not actually apply to them, uh, but they always say that they do and refuse to give out information. So when something happens in the United States and people are able to get um, the information of uh, the, the police officer who was interacting with the public at the time that caused the death uh, within days, able to get any surveillance footage, often depending on the jurisdiction, uh, within days, uh, able to get information about that particular police officer's prior history of interactions uh, with the public within days. In Canada, sometimes we never get that information. And if we do, uh, it's often years out from the time that an event happens. It's one of the ways that Canada can deny um, that we have these issues is because the police refuse uh, to provide the information that journalists need to hold police accountable and policymakers refuse to clarify privacy laws to make sure that journalists can access that information. Like, we're in Canada dealing with this issue. There are local particularities, and it's up to places like the CBC to make that clear to the public so that I don't have to be the only one saying it over and over again. <laughs> As we speak, I'm, I'm told that uh, Catherine Tate has, you know, her predictable apology to CBC staff has come through, uh, filled with the unconscious bias training mentioned and, you know, uh, how they're improving their hiring practices, et cetera, et cetera. But journalism, journalists should do journalism, and, and we need to have better journalism to, to actually measure uh, racism so we can have an informed conversation. The other aspect of this that is um, very different, uh, and we mentioned it earlier, is the direct violence to journalists, Sandy. I'm wondering if we can't talk about that for a second. Were you as uh, disturbed as I was to just see the footage of like police aiming, you know, pepper guns or rubber bullet guns at reporters, not only ceasing to kind of respect the press in the way that they have in the past and kind of like allow press to kind of peacefully cover things, even as violence is breaking out, but it seems almost like targeting the press. Yeah, I mean, arresting the press live on the air, targeting uh, the press with with violence. I have been stunned to see this because it, I think it is a change in the way that the police are engaging with the press uh, at demonstrations. And I think that that can't be just a mistake that must be coming from an endorsement of such an interaction with the press uh, from the people who control the police. And it certainly uh, seems to be endorsed by the president. And so I... Uh, this is really terrifying. At the very least, people seem to have trusted for some time that we, we live in at least the kind of democracy where we can expect that there will be freedom of the press in some manner. But when state forces are going after the press, that's pretty scary. It's pretty terrifying. I had the same response, and, and, and I felt I thought exactly what you thought. I felt like they were told to do this. Like th mm -hmm. th this isn't just like somebody got caught in the, in the line of fire or something. This looks like they're doing it on purpose. And I absolutely, you know, of course, decry this, and the press need to be there to tell the story. But you know, some interesting nuance was brought to this. Wesley Lowry from 60 Minutes, formerly of the Washington Post, tweeted, advancing a, quote, escalating war on the freedom of the press uh, narrative requires ignoring the police have been blatantly ignoring the First Amendment rights of protesters responding to their constitutionally protected speech with state violence for years. And we've been talking about this in our newsroom. The truth of the matter is there's no special extra First Amendment or in Canada charter rights or civil rights of any kind that allow journalists to do things that normal people or protesters can't. The fact that we have been allowed access to protests, riots, war zones, what have you, and, and given a little bit of space to tell the story, I'm sure that authorities would say that was out of respect for the press, but I think it was out of a recognition of, of the power of the press. Mm -hmm. It's a bad look for the police to arrest journalists, to fire on journalists, to, to see a, a, a cop, uh, their hand over the lens of a camera. Mm -hmm. They don't want that footage. They don't want that story in the news. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they're turning on the press now it's not the violation of a law. It's the violation of kind of like a protocol, like a, like a, like a casual uh, tacit agreement we had that was based on us having power. And so something has changed. Mm -hmm. And I think we really need to remark upon it, that this is a president who has declared the press his enemy and the enemy of the people. And that condemnation and that and that uh, othering of the press is turning violent as it did during the campaign. But, you know, now through not his followers, but through a militarized police. That's fucking terrifying. And I think that that is like a delegitimization of the press, whereby he's saying, I actually have more to gain by making you my enemy. I want that footage. 
Mm-hmm. I, I don't mind that that coverage anymore. That scares me to my core. Yeah, if it if it's more acceptable to them to be seen as repressing the press than for the press to see what they're actually doing to these protesters, that makes me very scared for the protesters. Like, what are their plans for the protesters if they're really uh, willing to let people see that they don't want the press to report on what's happening. Like I, I even saw on Twitter a a Fox News report uh, that looked like it was going to be very favorable to the police. And then when the the police started just rounding up and, and arresting business owners who were who had flagged them down to get them to stop some looting that seemed like it was taking place at their business and Fox News helped flag down these police officers and then the police started arresting all the black people in sight, including the business owners. And then you see the the journalists from Fox saying, no, 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 wait, they're the good ones. You know, this is Fox News, obviously, typically against protesters. And then and then the, the police just kind of corral the the journalists from Fox News off to the side. So, I mean, um, those are their friends, Fox News. Uh, you know, if they're even doing that to them, I'm just so terrified for all the protesters, all the people who are are trying to uh, shed light on this situation. And my God, Canada, there's so much to to report on, whether you're looking inward at at Canada or at the United States. Um, And you, you done messed up this week with how you focused on it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world and BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Sandy, there's so much going on and things can slip under the radar. We like to duly note stories on the show that otherwise might go uh, overlooked. Is there anything you want to share with people today? I would like to duly note that a lot of people in the last uh, week have been wondering, you know, what can we do about police reform? And there's been all of this uh, research that I don't think have been uh, reported enough in the media to show how ineffective reform is. And one of the things that I want to make sure your listeners know is that things like body cameras actually tend to result in the police using lethal force more than not. And so that might seem counterintuitive. Reading uh, some research in the Yale Law Review uh, last Hmm. night about it, that might seem counterintuitive, but it's one of the reasons why uh, people uh, like to focus on making change in other ways. Uh, A lot of the ways that we have tried reform already have not worked. So I'd like to duly note that. That is interesting. Duly noted. 
Actually, I'm going to duly note something that got a lot of attention, but I, I just can't help myself. This, of course, is um, Justin Trudeau being asked how he responds to Donald Trump's recent behavior and words. Here is just a fraction of how Justin Trudeau responded. You've been reluctant to comment on uh, the words and actions of the U.S. president, but we do have Donald Trump now calling for military action against protesters. We saw protesters tear gas yesterday to make way for a presidential photo op. I'd like to ask you what you think about that. And if you don't want to comment, what message do you think you're sending? I guess if there's something I want to duly note about that, it's not that that went under the radar. I think everybody saw that. It's just that people read whatever they wanted into what lay in in that uh, 21, 22 seconds of silence. You know, to some Americans, it was just an indication of how Trump just dumbfounded uh, a reasonable person. Like, there's just nothing you can say without starting, like, some horrible conflagration, some war between Canada and the U.S. You know, other people went with that and said, oh, this is evidence of his wonderful statesmanship. You know, this is diplomacy. He doesn't have to say anything negative about Trump because uh, the silence says it all. And others who are a bit more familiar with Justin Trudeau just saw a guy who couldn't think of anything to say. Duly noted. Sandy, you had a Twitter thread about your experience um, with the, the CBC radio show, The Current, and that Twitter thread went viral. Can you quickly summarize what you wanted everyone to know? Yeah, I had been asked to appear on uh, The Current to discuss what was happening uh, with George Floyd and Amy Cooper in the United States. You know, this was right after, the day after Regis Korchinski Paquette died in Toronto. And, you know, not long after DeAndre Campbell was shot on his front lawn in Brampton. And so I asked if uh, we would be discussing what was happening in Canada as well. I was told that there was no time because there's eight, there was eight minutes, which in my book is a very long radio slot. Um and so we we went forward and did a pre-interview anyway. And at the end of that pre-interview, when I was asked, how do we move forward? I suggested that one of the things we needed to consider was defunding the police and discussed uh, the billion dollar problem of the increased budget every year uh, to the police in Toronto and how that money could be reinvested to provide safety and security in other ways through our budget. I was interrupted and the producer who was interviewing me was like, did you just say defunding the police as though I was nuts? And then said, look, we've got a lot of people chasing uh, this story. So not sure if we're going to be able to have you on the air. I'll circle back if that's possible. And I think it just goes to show that they weren't willing to have me on the air saying something that they thought was controversial. They were looking for the right kind of black person that fit their story. And it wasn't something that she could understand as a, uh, you know, I'm judging by her photo on Twitter as a as a white producer trying to engage with this story. So in the end, I think they chose someone, an American academic, to discuss very specifically only the issues with respect to George Floyd and Amy Cooper in the United States, which I think is a loss to the listen, the Canadian listeners of The Current. So here's the problem with that, Sandy, because though that sounds like completely credible to me as somebody who used to produce at the CBC, that they wanted to have you on, but then you wanted to bring on a Canadian focus and you want to talk about defunding the police. And they were like, uh, absolutely not. Let's get somebody else. But these are really hard stories to prove because CBC like any broadcasting organization like us can always just say, look, we pre-interview a bunch of different people and we make a decision about who to have on based on all kinds of different things. You know, maybe we just like this other guest more than you. And, you know, in my conversations with you, Sandy, like we were able to determine that, you know, you weren't necessarily formally booked. So I think they have that kind of wiggle room. It's usually impossible to know, except in this case... We actually got our hands on some internal CBC emails that, if nothing else, show that they absolutely were uncomfortable with this idea that you wanted to present of defunding the police. This was an exchange that happened between CBC uh, journalists after you exposed this on Twitter and they were saying, well, should we have Sandy on? Maybe that's the right move now that she's embarrassed us for not having her on. Should we have her on? (laughs) 
another show. And they're, they're kind of kicking this idea back and forth. And people are saying, no, we should have her on. And ultimately, Aubrey Silverberg, who is the executive producer of Daily News for CBC News Network, he said, OK, let's do it. Let's have her on. I have a few concerns, mainly about focusing this on issues of race relations and possible solutions, but not. He doesn't want to have you come on and talk about your experience with The Current. Oh, my God. You know, like, <laughs> I don't want to have her on if she's going to talk about that. And then he says, also, I think the idea of defunding the police here in Canada is an extreme position. Mm-hmm. And goes on to say, you know, so if she's going to say that, we have to at least say, like, this is an extreme position. I thought that that was an extreme position when it was first brought to my attention in a conversation years ago with Desmond Cole. Mm-hmm. Like, defund the police? Like, no more police? Mm-hmm. And as I got more familiar with the idea, and I was like, actually, that's like an idea that, like, the conservative Fraser Institute think tank, like, they, they had a report in 2014 saying, we've never given the police more money. They've got 33% more money than they used to have, and, and crime rates are down 33%. So from a taxpayer point of view, defunding the police... Uh, from a conservative point of view, was something that was suggested by this report. This is actually like a fairly common idea. Mm-hmm. I think that abolishing the police, which I know is your position, might be considered a fringe or a radical, or I don't know what the terminology is, but I don't think I don't think you'd find a widespread amount of support for that. Which is not to say we shouldn't discuss it, but the idea that the police are getting paid way too much and they're doing way too many things, mm-hmm. given the fact that they are this like quasi-military force where they have sergeants and whatnot. But they're being brought in to like settle domestic disputes and deal with people who are in mental health distress. Like that is actually a very reasonable idea. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think. Oh gosh, I mean, the first time I heard uh, defund the police, also I heard what I think most people who have a knee jerk reaction, being like, "Oh, that's never going to work," heard, which is you want to remove the one body that provides safety and security in our society. And in fact, what we're saying is we deserve better approaches to safety and security and and we can make that happen. And it would be to the benefit of the black community, but also to all other communities who care uh, about safety or ever find themselves in a, a precarious position, whether economically uh, or socially. And it, it's something worth discussing. Uh, and if we don't, uh, if we don't discuss it, I don't know how we will uh, truly address uh, the problems that we see facing um, mostly black and indigenous communities in our society in an effective way, like with an approach of this is what we can actually change. It's not enough to just do acknowledgement. And, you know, these these shifts in our society that we have to make are hard. It's going to be difficult, but it requires being open enough to have these conversations. And I'm happy that this week it seems like more and more places are willing to be open to these ideas and I mean uh, CBC it's to your detriment that you weren't the first <laughs> to try to try to put this idea out there or to to have this idea explored they weren't the they weren't the first but Sandy like I've never seen anything like this I know like in, mm-hmm. in a matter of days this went from like a verboten thing that we won't even let Sandy come on and say the words defund the police then there was a firestorm over your tweets then you are back on the air you're on the national then Desmond Cole is on CBC and then I'm listening to CBC radio this morning and in the in the space of five minutes the news report was about defund the police and then the current said coming up on the current we're gonna have a panel discussion about whether or not we should defund the police and better and spend the money elsewhere like people talk talk about the Overton window like this was like like <laughs> like, like the, yeah. the window was shattered and there's a big hole in the wall like it, it went because like there's like a trajectory from like we won't even talk about this to we will have someone on we will identify them as an activist and we'll give them three seconds to say it to like let's actually have a panel where we discuss this like it, it's a normalization process that's happened in hyperdrive like it's weird I've never <laughs> seen it happen so quickly it is weird it's fantastic it's also you know strategic when I when I realized that this moment was going to be different. Um, you know, I, I spoke to other activists uh, um, from Toronto and immediately was like, I think that we can shift the way people think about defunding the police and uh, let's try to, to get these arguments out there as quickly as possible. And uh, you're seeing the results of, of a lot of strategy, a lot of, um, you know, thinking about how to package an idea and make it 
palatable for audiences, uh, make it something that they can understand, um, something that just, as you say, like a month ago would have been a, com- a week ago, really, <laughs> would have been impossible uh, to have a discussion about. So it is, uh, it's really fantastic. Yeah, I mean, g- good things can happen in these inflection points. I mean, the big one is still just this idea that like, those types of things that we're seeing in those viral videos that cause these things, these actual like films of police killing people, that's an American thing and not a Canadian. And I I, I don't know what to tell you about that, but that uh, last week, the investigative office in BC, which is like the SIU, uh, when cops kill somebody, they have to investigate. They recommended charges against five RCMP officers who arrested an indigenous man named Dale Culver in 2017, mm-hmm. died in police custody. The investigations office uh, says they have reasonable grounds to believe that two officers may have committed offenses in relation to use of force. Three others may have committed offenses regarding obstruction of justice. Last week, another man died in police custody in Richmond, B.C., uh, arrested for shoplifting. We don't even know this person's name, let alone his ethnicity. Another guy died in police custody in B.C. last Friday after allegedly stealing a cab. Then up in Nunavut, there's video Mm -hmm. of like the RCMP driving an SUV into this man who's stumbling around intoxicated. An Iqaluit prisoner died in police custody while he was on the way to the hospital seeking mental health help. There was like a kid hit by a police vehicle in in, uh, Nunavut. There's three other shootings in Nunavut in this year alone. Mm -hmm. I actually think that if journalists were, like we just don't have those videos, you know? So that seems like something that journalism could try to quantify right Mm -hmm. i think that you know we have nobody aggregating this data and i i think that it it is something that would be great for researchers stats can journalists to take on uh it's very important that we understand what's going on and even you know let's not forget uh, the case of defonte miller where uh police officers brutalized this young man and he lost his eye and we only knew about it because his family Uh, lawyered up and got his lawyer to contact the SIU because the police failed to use their own accountability measures to investigate that brutalization. So on top of everything you've said, Jesse, how how many other cases are there like that where we don't know anything about what's happened because the police have refused to go through the appropriate um, accountability channels that would give us an inkling of an idea of what's going on on the ground? I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I lose count even in this country. You know, Sami Yatim, a cop killed him. I, I heard the gunshot from my bedroom window. You mentioned Andrew Loku, uh, DeAndre Campbell. Like, it's falling apart. The, 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 not us. It doesn't happen here. Not as bad. No systemic. It's, it's falling apart. So let it fall apart. Let's let it fall apart. So that is Canada Land Shortcuts for this week. And everybody, you can support us. It's never been easier when you click on the link in your show notes or go to canadalandshow.com slash join. Five bucks a month, ad-free podcasts. Just go do it. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send. We're on Twitter at Canada Land. We're on Instagram at Canada Land Show. Sandy Hudson had to jump off for another media interview. She is working hard, but you can find her podcast at sandyandnora.com. Our website is at canadalandshow.com where we have some coverage up articles about how the Canadian media is covering what is happening. Go read them right now. This episode is produced by Kevin Sexton. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.